0: Jim Shoemaker and Mac Jenkins are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Security and Financial Services Incorporated, securities dealer member FINRA SIPC. A registered investment advisor, Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated. Welcome to the Variety Hour on AM 990, where local leaders talk Memphis.
1: Listen to you, move your mind. I bet you come way down south. Don't tell me, let me guess you're from the town that I love.
2: Memphis. I wish you would. Talk you so
1: good.
0: Welcome to Talk Money on AM 990. And now here's your host, Jim Shoemaker.
2: And welcome to Talk Money. It's Friday morning, and we have a jam-packed program for you this morning. We're going to be talking about what happened yesterday. We have in the studio Shannon Dyson. He's the vice president of Shoemaker Benefits. And we're going to be talking about basically how did it change, and if we upheld the law, then what does that mean to us as employers, to employees, to the Affordable Care Act, it is uh, just a lot of information, Mac. And, I mean, it's going to be – I'm excited to have him going because when he gets started talking about this, you and I can go home. Absolutely, Jim. And I don't understand a lot of it, so I'll be enlightened as well. <laughs> but I like the fact that you just started, man. I mean, he is an expert on it. And you need to stay with us because it is a program that if you have questions about how did the interpretation go yesterday and does it affect you – That's what we're going to dive in. But before we do that, we always go through the facts on Friday. And, uh, Mac, let's start with a couple of those facts that we find interesting. And um, let's start with number one. Absolutely.
1: You know, it's, uh, it's amazing, Jim. We're in the third longest streak. Uh, with the S and P 500, without a 10 percent drop.
2: You know, that's a. You think about that. We talk about that a lot, but when you say the third longest, I mean, that's how many how many days does this one lasted?
1: 1357 days. But now, if it's third so far, it's third.
2: Okay, I'd like to know what's number one.
1: Number one was the period of time between October of 1990 and October of 1997. That was 2,553 calendar day. I
2: remember that very good. And my, you know, the thing about when you think about the market during that period of time, basically there, you know, there was a couple of little minor chicks and chains and stuff like that. But the reality was, if you just were in the market, it seemed to be a positive thing. This is not the same type of market, especially the last 18 months. It has been a little more difficult, but it still grinds its way up, as Bob Dahl always says on the program. It's that, you know, that just grinding, hitting the side, <laughs> hitting the the, uh, the blackboard and hearing it scratch down. Exactly. He said it's one after another. It's just that wall of worry, and this is the most unbelievable. He talks about that, the fact that this is an unbelievable market. Not that it's unbelievable from a standpoint we see it and don't believe it, but we just don't to believe that this market is continuing to move up over a thousand days. And that's reality. It's just one of those things that we have to look at and understand that even though it seems like it's a great thing going on, it's hard for people to believe it.
1: Yeah, the, the second one, Jim, that I thought was interesting, rates will go up Someday, <laughs> someday, someday. The last time the Fed began a rate tightening cycle was six thirty of two thousand and four. Yeah, that's a long time ago. That's that's been a long time ago. Yeah. Uh, eleven over eleven years. Yeah. So I thought that was interesting. So rates will go up. Another one: retirees or millionaires? That's. Uh, let, let me give you a statistic here. Uh, that's, uh, that's impressive. Three point two million dollars invested in a pre-tax account, earning one percent annually. Generates $2,667 per month. Did did you know that under the Social Security benefit, the highest monthly is $2,663 a month?
2: That puts everybody in that category...
1: As, so a, it takes as, as a, millionaire.
2: a millionaire, wow, man, that's that's a lot of money. I know when you talk about Social Security, fifty-nine million people benefits today, and this source again comes from the Congressional Budget Office. But he says fifty-nine million Social Security benefit beneficiaries today. The the number is projected to grow to seventy-eight million by twenty twenty-five. That's ten years. Then in all, to almost a million, a hundred million in 2040. So, I mean, there's a there's a real wow. I mean, you get to looking at all of the issues going on and the thought process behind it. Social Security, Janet, Shannon's going to talk about the Affordable Care Correct. Act, Medicare, Medicaid, all of the social programs that the government's going to start paying for. And we're seeing the clock tick on Social Security. So, you know, I've looked at the 2040. I'm not going to worry about it. It's not going to be in my plan. You'll only be like
1: 65 by then. <laughs> You're right. And I have one more for you. Okay. This was triggered by yesterday. Okay. 99 degrees. Yeah, it was hot. It is, it is now hot in it Memphis. Is hot. It is hot in Memphis. June and almost July. What do we expect? You June know? is here. Yep. An average of 658 million Americans die from e- extreme heat every mm. year. That exceeds the number of deaths caused by tornadoes, hurricanes, floods, and lightning Combined. Combined.
2: People don't think about that. That is a real issue. It's an issue here in Memphis. Boy, we we pray for those people that, uh, you know, you have electrical problems, you don't have air conditioning. It can be absolutely devastating in this kind of heat. So do whatever you have to do to stay cool during these hot summer months that we have in Memphis. If you just tuned in, I'm Jim Shoemaker along with Mac Jenkins. We've got a guest coming up. He is in the studio. He is an expert when he comes to the Affordable Care Act. His name, Shannon Dyson. He's the vice president of Shoemaker Benefits and a good friend and does a wonderful job explaining, <laughs> I guarantee you, something that's detailed to everybody to listen to. So stay with us. When we come back, Shannon Dyson.
0: You're listening to Talk Money with Jim Shoemaker. Remember, this material represents an assessment of the market environment at a specific point in time and is not intended to be a forecast of future events or a guarantee of future results. Research, investment advice, or a recommendation to purchase or sell a security. Helping you make the most of your money. Talk Money will return right after this.
3: Have you thought about pursuing a career in financial services, but have no experience in the industry and need training? If you are goal oriented, highly motivated, and enjoy working with people, you have the skill set. Shoemaker. Financial is looking for. Shoemaker Financial is continuing to grow their team of financial advisors in the Mid South, and they're ready with the training and tools you need to get started. With over 35 years of providing professional advice, quality products, and excellent service in the Mid South, you too can now be a part of their growing firm. If you're interested in learning more about this opportunity, contact Haley Kemp at 901 757 5757 or email at hkemp at shoemakerfinancial.com.
0: Helping you make the most of your money. This is Talk Money with Jim Shoemaker. And now, once again, here's your host for Talk Money, Jim Shoemaker. And welcome back. I'm
2: talking with uh, Mac Jenkins, and we have Shannon Dyson in the studios with us, and we're talking about the Health Care Reform Act, the Affordable Care Act, and uh, yesterday a big decision by the Supreme Court, and the decision King versus Burwell, they decided that it was okay to pay subsidies. And, Shannon, let me ask, I mean, there, there, we, saw, we saw the market move a little bit, especially if you're a health care facility. And we saw the market move a little bit negatively if you happen to be an insurer. So I guess what we're saying is it looks like maybe there's some pressure for the insurers. are going to have to make some changes and thoughts. I know everybody was holding their breath yesterday for sure.
4: Yeah, well, first of all, thanks for having me back. Yes, sir. You're and, always uh, a great guest. <laughs> I appreciate it. And, yeah, there was a lot of movement yesterday, especially in the uh, health care facilities. You know, healthcare facilities for years and years have said they needed, you know, when people come in to get emergency services, if they didn't have insurance, that they took a hit right. from everybody that would right. come in. Right, right, uh, So this just kind of upheld the fact that most people will have health insurance now. Uh, people that were to come in for emergency situations will be paid by the health insurance carrier. Mm-hmm. Uh, as far as the health insurance carriers go, that's kind of an interesting interesting thing that, that it was ticking down. I mm-hmm. know over the last, since uh, 2010, uh, when the Affordable Care Act was f- first put into place, uh, the stock prices for the five major insurers have up been up about 120
2: percent. Yeah, it's been or so. enormous growth. Yeah, that's I mean, uh, so, been a huge market sector of the market. Yeah,
4: yeah. So it's it's. I know everybody was waiting to see what was going to happen. The millions of Americans who had uh, subsidies uh, in those 34 states uh, were kind of waiting uh, to see if their subsidy would still be eligible.
2: You know, a lot of our listeners would love for us to debate what the Supreme Court did, Mac, whether or not. Yes, they would. Whether it was right or wrong or, you know, what side of the politics you want to play and back and forth. And, you know, but really that's not the purpose of this program. We're not into that. But what we are into is how does it affect the employer employee in the marketplace today? And Shannon does a good job with that. So Shannon, let's start with that. What did you? That interpretation was not one that changed the law. Right. It just said the law is, and they interpret it. Even though we can say the law is poorly written, and we can yeah. dive into that, and we can get into the words. As a couple of the justices used the term. The words were terrible, and we could do all that. But the reality is, they just held up and said, "This is what the law is saying," and we will hold to say that has to be enforced. So what is it going to say to us now?
4: Yeah, so, so they basically, like you said, they just said that the the law, as it was written, maybe it wasn't written properly. Maybe there could have been better wording. However, the uh, the law, what it meant to do was get more Americans health insurance. right? And so that's why they said we're going to uphold the subsidies in those 34 states. Uh, so really, it's business as usual in our market. So we, we know that in the 34 states where there is a federal exchange, uh, that we are going to have subsidies offered to these um, uh, insureds that, that uh, are eligible for it uh, and that employers have to deal with what is, what is going to happen. You've got uh, in a month or I guess six months from now, you've got employers that have 100 or more employees. Uh, they have an, uh, a mandate to offer health insurance. And so that's going to be the next uh, piece of the puzzle you know we have 6 months for those employers that offer more, that do not offer a health plan that they're going to have to start offering a group health plan or be faced with a penalty.
2: What about the what about the, the fact that uh, let's dive into the, the separate state run plans federal run plans. Sure, yes. Yeah, so Can you help us understand the difference?
4: When the Affordable Care Act was written, uh, there were what was supposed to happen was that all states would offer their own state exchange. And in for for them doing that, the federal government would give them extra dollars for Medicaid to expand their Medicaid programs, uh, kind of some extra goodies, I guess, yeah. to, in order to offer that state exchange. Yes, there you go.
2: Now uh, let's make sure everybody understands: Tennessee, Arkansas, and Mississippi, all or what?
4: Federal uh, run by the federal,
2: federal exchange. government. So our listening audience needs to understand: we're not state run; we are federally run. In Tennessee, uh, um, in
4: um, Governor Haslam basically decided that offering a state exchange he did not feel was good for the state of Tennessee, uh, the main reason being that we'd get those extra Medicaid dollars. Well, what do you do with those? Do you expand Medicaid? Right. Uh, and then what happens when those federal dollars run out? And they, st- they
2: knew they eventually would.
4: They stopped giving them to Tennessee, right. so now you've got a lot more people on the Medicaid rolls. What do you do then?
2: It would be at a, a, a bigger tax burden for future generations. For, yeah, for future generations. So I, I actually think that that was probably – 34 states have said this is probably what we ought to do. If you're thinking about states that didn't do that, Colorado, Arizona – a lot of it's the West Coast states.
4: Right, yeah. They decided that we we're going to go ahead and offer a, a state-run exchange. Right. Uh, they did receive the extra federal dollars, and they've added to the Medicaid rolls. Right. Uh, one thing Tennessee tried to do this the, uh, earlier this year was in, um, introduce an insure Tennessee bill mm-hmm. uh, because Governor Haslam decided, well, maybe we should take some of these federal dollars, and how best should we use these? He right. didn't want to just expand Medicaid. He wanted to come up with a program. Of course, that was voted down. Right. Uh, and so Tennessee remains one of the states that are run by the federal exchange. The
2: closest state to us, Mac, is Kentucky. And for our listening audience that's in Kentucky, they, that is a state run plan.
1: Yeah. Shannon, let me ask you this 34 states have have moved toward those exchanges. Do you see the remaining states with the passage of this bill coming in? or are continuing to do their own thing
4: Yeah, so i've read a lot about that and there, there's a lot of uh, people that will say well now that they know that this is the law it's been it's been ruled on right I mean, this now, is here to it's stay It's kind of in
2: the firm and you know it's now done and it's in the fabric of our country that
4: so. you're going to have more and more states say okay well if this is going to be this is the future mm-hmm. how how can we best uh, get ready for this mm-hmm. and so should we accept the medicaid dollars to run our own exchange and how best could we use those dollars Uh, Because I think every state still has to come up with some sort of program to say, what if and when the federal dollars run out for Medicaid? We have to have a program in place to take care of How can we cover it? Exactly.
2: Well, I I guess I'll look at it. Did it affect the employer-employee today? uh, Did the ruling yesterday... Change anything that we have to run out tomorrow and make a decision
4: about? It, it didn't. The, the only, the main thing that it, w- it was, we were waiting to see was if, if they ruled that there were subsidies were not eligible in those 34 states, what did that do to the mandate mm-hmm. for employers? Um, you know, you, go, you look back, if they had ruled that the, the subsidies were not available, well, the only trigger in the law in order to uh, enforce the mandate on employers was an employee getting a subsidy. Right. So if no subsidies are available, that pretty much gutted the law as far as being a mandate on the employer. So now that that is ruled on, that is the law. We know what's what. We know what to expect. Uh, then we know that in six months, employers with a hundred more employees still have that mandate, and they still have to offer a, a health insurance plan.
2: Well, you mentioned the hundred plus. What about the twenty to a hundred? I mean, let's talk about this thing called community rates. Yes. Uh, explain to our listening audience what community rates
4: Community rating is based on a person's... Is that
2: everybody, by the way, is that across the country? Can you elect not to do community rating?
4: No, that is the law. It's the law. So in the, in the, in the Affordable Care Act, it was established that groups from, from 0 to 50 uh, starting out would be under what is called community rating. Uh, at the end of this year, that goes from zero to 100 employees will be under what what is called community rating. And community rating is based on the zip code that you live in, uh, your age, and whether you smoke or not. And that is what all of the rates are based on. So it has nothing to do with your health conditions, your health history. Um, if you are currently in the hospital with, with a heart condition, doesn't right. matter. The rates are the same as long as you're in that zip code uh, and you either smoke or non-smoke in your age. So, so nothing based on health history, which there has always a, been the past. There is a
2: limit to what you can charge an older person. There is. Uh, give, give us a little. Bit it's of that.
4: three times the amount uh, that you would charge a younger person. a younger person. Correct.
2: Is that a fair way of doing it? I mean, I, I'm, I'm I'm the listening. I'm listening.
4: <laughs> I noticed your ears up uh, waiting for attention. this answer.
2: It's not <laughs> I'm my not job to older person with a little old. <laughs> yes, right.
4: I, I don't judge fairness. <laughs> I, I leave that to other people. But treat right. people fairly, not equally, Jim. <laughs>
2: That's true. Okay,
4: it is. Uh, I will tell you that when you look on, when I'm looking at groups uh, in the 10 to say 50 employee market. Mm -hmm. Uh, and they have a high, a high population in the Mm sixties. Those rates are extremely high. Um, a lot higher than what you would think a lot higher than what they were pre affordable care act.
2: What does that say to you? What does that say? I mean, you do this every day. You're talking to employers all the time. I mean, just for those of you listening, if you've got a question for Shannon and we don't cover it today and you want to call him, this guy knows what he 's talking about. the telephone number seven five seven five seven five seven. Feel free to call him at the office. Just ask for Shannon Dyson and uh, they'll get it get you get. In contact with him, but Chana, what does that say to you? This this expensive cost for that older person. Well,
4: what it says is that you've got uh, the the person in their sixties that is taking care of themselves, that is healthy, that it does not have any major conditions. He can't going get on. out of that, Kenny. Can he? He, he can't. He's getting the same rate as somebody who did not take care of themselves, who is sick.
2: So a guy weighing one hundred and ninety pounds that runs every day. Yep. And six foot tall and uh, no cholesterol problems and doing a great job. I'm describing myself no. no, no,
4: no. We have a client. We, <laughs> yeah. we, we have a client that is 63. Uh-huh. Um, he is a bodybuilder. Yeah. And he is in perfect health. And yeah. we have this discussion a lot. He'll call me and say, why is there nothing else for me? Why yeah. do I have to pay the same rate? As somebody else who does not take who care of weighs themselves, 400 who, pounds, who weighs four hundred pounds, yeah, and, 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 and it's just that—that's the law, and, and that's that. You know, that's the part that is to me the unfair part of the law.
2: Is that discriminating?
4: It's—I um, don't that, know.
2: Could that I, ultimately
4: end up in the Supreme Court? I don't think so. I, th- I think you're—you'd be discriminating uh, the way that people take care of themselves. I don't yeah. know that you can do that, um, but it is not—it's not fair for someone who has taken care of themselves. And the—the the argument against that is that well. That may be true. However, there are plenty of Americans who have not been able to get health care insurance in the past mm. because of, say, diabetes or right. some other condition. Um, and because we're opening the tent and allowing them in without any health conditions, that's going to naturally increase the cost across the
2: board. And so now we're we're paying for a health insurance plan for that person, and now we're – paying for that health insurance plan for the facility so the hospital is a, is winning in this in this situation. They're, got, they're now knowing they're going to get paid yeah. for this person ending up in the hospital.
4: Yeah, and, and if you talk to hospitals across the state of Tennessee, um, when that Insure Tennessee bill that we talked about a minute ago, when it went down, they were really upset about that because you've got a lot of hospitals in smaller towns, smaller uh, communities across the state of Tennessee, who really wanted that Medicaid expansion because they needed those dollars? They just needed the dollars, uh, and so you know if they had taken away the subsidies, uh, that would have really hurt them as well.
2: I want to ask you a question on a hundred plus employees. That you were just talking about the fifty to one hundred, the hundred plus employees. What about community ratings for them? Do, I know they don't have to do that, or
4: yeah. So once you get over one hundred employees uh, as an employer, uh, you no longer under the community rating rules. Uh, those rules are the same that we've had for, for many years. Now, there's some additional benefits that you have to cover as mm-hmm. a part of the Affordable Care Act, uh, but your rates are based on your group's claim history, uh, the, the age, the average age of, of your group, and how you've run as far as claims versus premiums paid over the last few years. So each year, those groups get a renewal, uh, and then we try to move them or try to see what the best deal for them with the other insurance carriers in the market, and it's all based on their claims history.
2: You know that's uh, that's something Mac that uh, people don't realize the difference between the two community rating and then your own history you know the individual the larger, plan rating uh, Yeah yeah and so that can be a major department, you know set something apart so what do you see Mac I mean you do a lot of work with these people like this what do you see as far as the thought process that people are going through how do you think they're making the decisions Yeah you know so many times
1: you've got somebody within the within the employer that is assigned this, so, yeah. so it's, typically it falls on somebody in HR. <laughs> All right, so right. You, you take an HR person, and now they're tasked with coming up with a not only a good benefit plan that's going to benefit the employees, but cost is always an issue. And so many times they uh, I see a lot of times they 've tried to do it on their own yeah we 're going to design this plan and go to the carrier without working with someone like shannon right um, and and that 's where the benefit of of Shannon coming in no no bias to one company he goes out and and t- and really works for a specific employer to make the benefit package as best it can be.
2: well, the fact that he can be a consultant absolutely he, he Shannon Shannon operates
1: that. more from a consultant standpoint for the employer
2: right that's a good point shannon there there's a law that this large employer the, under this law the large employer face a fine coming up in right. 2016 of three thousand dollars per employee explain that for me right quick i mean that's one thing that i know that is a lot of people look at I mean, them and let me make sure i get this right now that full-time employees who opt out of the plan that they, they say well i can go get it it's cheaper someplace else right. the employer faces a three thousand dollar fine for those people doing that Walk me through that.
4: Yeah, so there's two penalties right. uh, that are that are possible for an employer group that has more than 100 employees. The first one is, I'm not. I'm an employer. I have 100 or more employees, and I am not going to offer a health plan. That's a $2,000 per employee fine. That's kind of penalty. Not,
2: that's a. I'm not offering a plan. I'm just not offering a plan at all. You go get your
4: own. Plan. Go get your own plan. And you're over 100 employees. That employer is getting fined or penalized or taxed. I guess $2,000 per employee per year. per year. Okay. Uh, they do get a credit for the first 30 so it's it's 100 employees minus 30 so it'd be a, if you have 100 employees that'd be 70 times 2000 $140,000 tax a pretty expensive tax and you can't write that off that's just a tax that you pay in um now you've got the the penalty that you're referring to is an employer says okay I am going to offer a health plan to my employees uh, but a lot of employers pay 50% of the employee cost or they pay 60% of the employee cost and they're not looking to see how much their employees are actually having to pay out of their pocket for their insurance. Uh, there's a law written into the Affordable Care Act that says an employee cannot pay more than 9.5% of their income toward their insurance.
2: Okay, I want to dive into that when we come back, because to me, that's something, it starts in 2016, the right. employer that needs to understand that that can be a problem. One of the biggest issues that we see is a lot of people get misinformation, And it's so easy to do that. You just tuned in. I'm Jim Shoemaker along with Mac Jenkins, our guest, Shannon Dyson. He is the vice president of Shoemaker Benefits. Does a wonderful job explaining a very complex. We're talking about what took place yesterday with the Supreme Court. So uh, stay with us because we got more from Shannon Dyson when we get back.
0: You're listening to Talk Money with Jim Shoemaker. Podcasts of the Talk Money program are available for iOS mobile devices. Go to the iTunes store and search for Shoemaker Financial. Talk Money will return right after this.
3: Business Radio
0: helping you make the most of your money. This is Talk Money with Jim Shoemaker. Remember, financial advisors do not provide specific tax or legal advice, and this information should not be considered as such. You should always consult your tax or legal advisor regarding your own specific tax or legal situation. And now, once again, here's your host for Talk Money, Jim Shoemaker.
2: You know, in the second half of the program, if you're listening, we're going to talk about helping someone make college decisions about how to connect and find out to do the best planning for college uh, cost. And so when we get into that program, just stay with us because we're going to walk through six or seven things, whether it's a grant, a student loan, or maybe some ideas of what you could have done and what we should be doing. Maybe it's even a loan in your home. We'll talk about that in the second half of the program. But right now, we're talking with Shannon Dyson, and we're talking about the Affordable Care Act. Shannon, before we went to break, you were
1: talking about the the penalties for employers and it revolving around the 9.5%.
4: Yeah, so the, the 9.5% rule, if an employer that has 100 or more employees uh, wants to offer, they do they say, I'm going to offer a health plan. I want to uh, avoid the penalty. I want to avoid the penalty. I don't want to pay that. I'm going to offer a health plan. What most employers in the past have done is they pay a certain percentage of the employee cost of insurance. So when I go out to, and talk to employers, I'll say, well, what are you currently doing? Well, we're paying 50% or 60% of the employee cost of insurance. And so what you have to be careful of now as an employer over 100 is does that 50 percent actually meet the minimum requirement of the Affordable Care Act, which says that an employee of yours cannot pay more than nine and a half percent of their income toward insurance. So you have to be careful that the 50 percent that employee is paying for their insurance does not rise above the nine and a half percent mark. If it does, uh, then that employee can go into the marketplace or the exchange and get a subsidy. And then you as the employer are fined $3,000 for each employee that
1: does that. So, so that leads me to my next question. If, if I'm in that 100-plus employer group, can I pay different amounts for employees or do I have to raise it up for everybody?
4: You can. We actually have an employer uh, that has a lot of lower-income workers, uh, and they made the decision that they are going to charge their employees exactly 9.5% of their income for the cost of their insurance. Uh, so you've got workers that are in the same category, same class of employee, but get paid differently, mm-hmm. maybe get paid a different hourly wage. Uh, and so they're going to be paying nine and a half percent of their income. And they made that decision. Now, to me, that's an accounting nightmare. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> because if you have somebody that works 30 hours one week and works 40 hours the next week and you're having to charge them So he's now looking for new
2: accountants because those guys are gone. <laughs> <laughs> exactly.
1: Yeah. But they are, they are taking the steps necessary to avoid that three thousand dollars per employee mark so the the traditional we pay 50 percent do you see that phasing out to, yeah. to to you know to accommodate for this nine and a half percent rule
4: i met with a friend of mine uh kevin a couple of weeks ago and he he's in the he's in that boat and he said well i just pay 50 percent of my employee cost and i said well what about the nine and a half percent rule he's like what nine and a half percent rule so th- there's still many many employers out there that don't know about that rule. They just feel like, well, I've offered a plan. I've always offered a plan. So since I've always offered a plan, there's no change no for me. change. There's right. no difference. Uh, but that 9.5% rule will come into play if you have any uh, any people in the lower income or if your rates for your company are high. If you think about it, um, employee rates, and we saw this with our group plan, right, right. have risen so much that a 400 or a $450 a month employee rate is not uncommon. And so, if you have somebody making less than thirty thousand dollars a year at your company, you're getting close to that nine and a half percent. You're getting really close to it.
2: Well, you know, that's something people have to look at, Mac. I mean,
4: yeah,
1: absolutely. I mean, my encouragement to employers out there, whether they be under a hundred or over a hundred, they need to to now in this remaining six months be looking at their health plan. Right. Do not. I don't think they can assume because I've always done something, I'm okay.
2: Well, you know, and I think we. I have one particular plan that we're the 401k provider for the plan, and we we consult with them on the 401k. They have someone else that does some of the other things from the benefit side, and that's fine. We don't understand that. But sometimes they've gotten some not quite as good of information. So, again, it's the consultant that works with them, and Shannon does a wonderful job. And if you're just listening to us, it's bottom line is you need somebody who will guide you through this maze of the Affordable Care Act and what it's doing and it changes in the changes and the nine and a half percent rule that you just mentioned. So, telephone number for Shannon is seven five seven five seven five seven. Shannon,
4: well, you said um, you had given. You find sometimes their employers are getting bad information. Uh, my friend Kevin that I was mentioned before, he was told that if he were just uh, charge more to the employee for their insurance, he'd have more employees drop off, which would not charge cost him as much money annually, oh. <laughs> and so. I was going, kind of like, no, that's, you know, that's exactly that's what the exactly rule was trying rules to again. <laughs> trying
2: to say. You can't do that. Exactly. So if you do that, we're going to come get you for that. So, yes.
4: So there's a lot of misinformation. And
2: right there, there is a lot of inf- mis- misinformation. The sad thing about it is a lot of people didn't misinterpret. And so I do appreciate, honestly, you know, Shannon, I think I say this to you a lot. The reality is I probably don't say it enough. You do a phenomenal job. From my chair, I appreciate the fact that you take the time and the energy and the effort to really dive into this, to know it, and I'm comfortable that when you give out advice, you're giving good advice, and I very much appreciate that. And I appreciate you being on the program Well, today. thank
4: you. I appreciate it. I enjoy being here. I always like to come and get an ego boost when I, <laughs> when I walk in.
2: <laughs> Actually, Jill sent me the message. She okay, just good. texted me and said, Please, Salem, he's doing a good job. <laughs> we appreciate Shannon, of <laughs> course, you, and Shannon. his lovely wife, Jill. We thank them for what they do for us. And, uh, Mac, we're going to go. got to move right now to a lady that does a wonderful job for us. She leads our his- Mid-South History Moment. Her name is Rebecca Brashear, and she does it because Drew. Johnson writes it. We'll be back after this.
0: Helping you make the most of your money, Talk Money will return right after this.
3: The Liberty Bowl Stadium has been the home to many wonderful stories. When the Memphis Memorial Stadium was built in 1965, it was dedicated to Memphians who had served in the two world wars and in Korea. Its purpose was to relocate the Liberty Bowl from Atlantic City to To Memphis, the stadium was renamed Liberty Bowl Memorial Stadium nine years later. In 1983, the field was named Rex Dockery Field after a Memphis football coach who was killed in a plane crash just two weeks before Christmas. Since the 70s, the stadium has hosted numerous professional football teams along with a few soccer teams. During the 90s, the stadium hosted the Memphis Mad Dogs, who were part of the Canadian Football League. Although there were some difficulty adapting the stadium to Canadian football rules, that one season in 1995 was a high point in the stadium's history, matched by the exhibition baseball game there between the Braves and the Brewers in 1975. This has been another Mid-South History Moment, brought to you by Shoemaker Financial.
0: Helping you make the most of your money. This is Talk Money with Jim Shoemaker. And now, once again, here's your host for Talk Money, Jim Shoemaker.
2: Well, welcome back. We are just jam-packed with a lot of program today, man. Mac, I mean, you know, we're it's uh he does a great job for us. Great information. And I just remind anybody listening if you want more information from Shannon, if you want him to sit down and look at your plan, 757-5757. He will be glad to do that and will I mean, this does a great great job for uh, what people do. But, let's talk about the question or so many times the comment, uh my child is headed to college. In September, and uh, with student loans... August these days,
1: Jim, August.
2: (laughs) Well, that's right, August. I guess you would say that. You're right. Uh, With student loans and, you know, grants and things like that, we've come up short. And what do we do? Now, this program is the result of somebody sending us some questions about college costs because it is a part of every financial plan, if you have small children, to do something about planning for college education. And so this kind of the question, we kind of worded it a little different, but the reality is people ask this question all the time. What happens? I don't have enough money. What do we do?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I want to start off with a statistic, Jim. 23% of American adults today are borrowing for college or have borrowed for college, either for themselves, for a spouse, or for a child.
2: 23%.
1: So just about one in four yeah. have student Debt.
2: You know a couple of weeks ago, and i don 't remember the number, but it was it was the largest amount of student debt in the history uh, you know since we 've been tracking that and i don 't remember the number, but it was an enormous number a uh, scary number and and so people are spending a lot of money for their education. but how do you do that so number one, first of all, stop what you 're doing, clean the kitchen table, and contact the college financial aid office to review for any financial aid that you might be able to get. That's number one. Yeah,
1: unfortunately, unfortunately, Jim, not everybody grows up and, and they score 30-plus on their ACT or, or they're an all-star athlete. Uh, the best way is always to begin the planning process early. early. We're going to talk about some things to do if the funds come up short. So I think you do need to, to contact that, that financial aid office within the school that you've selected
2: right, and see what
1: programs they offer.
2: And make sure that you've done that, because sometimes what's happened is you may have got some some changes in your family situation, maybe the Uh, the the students got some things going on as far as maybe their summer earnings were not as high as they were hoping it would be, and they didn't get the job that they thought they were going to get or something like that. So make this a family endeavor where you're talking to them and you describe the picture clearly. And what I find when I talk to a lot of these financial aid officers is that people come in poorly prepared. Correct. Or they, they don't articulate the problem. They're not clear with what they're trying to describe. And that's just practice. I mean, if you you don't do this every day, so so get it out. Make you some notes. Go through the process. Put together your finances. Look at your debt. Look at the. Go through the everything you possibly can, and didn't just call and say, "Here's what I've got. What else do I need?" So that when you sit down, when you get there, be you prepared. are Really prepared. And be that's prepared. One. The,
1: the the other thing is the best time to to be working on this. Is not starting July the 31st well, when, when the child starts when school. <laughs> when he's When they're packing or getting ready to move into the dorm. you exactly So be right. prepared, number be one. Prepared. I think number two, Jim, you can look at a tap into some home equity.
2: Yeah, you know, that's not always the best way to do it. But, boy, you're at this point, and it's time to go to school, and you've got to pay for it. You may have to do that. You set up a home equity line. And, and you know, credit. The credit of a home equity line versus a home equity loan. Even though some people say, I could say, or... A home equity loan, but there's a difference between a home equity line and a home equity loan.
1: Correct. A line is taking it out when you need it. Right. Versus it's, a loan where you just get all the money. A lot of times you see it in a in a home equity loan, then money gets filtered and spent for other things. Other things. So so you use that home equity line to pay for specific tuition. And let's make sure like everybody
2: that. understands that. If I got, you know, some equity in my home of $100,000 and I say I'm going to pull out the loan, I'm going to pull out my equity, I take the full $100,000. And most of the time, you almost all the time, you get a fixed rate. It's going to be a 10-year payback or a 15-year payback, but it's fixed. And you take the $100,000 and you can go put it in your savings account and that's going to be your equity That's going to be the the cost of college. You're going to use that money. Now, you're right, Mac. Don't spend that money on a new car. A new boat. A a new boat. (laughs) uh, A Christmas vacation or something like that. Spend it on what you said you were going to do. Now, if you do the home equity line, it's a variable rate and usually and almost all the time. And if you, you know, you can borrow it. Borrow as you need need it.
1: it. Correct. If the
2: child is able to get a good – I worked through college. My dad had a philosophy. You work – you pay a semester, I pay a semester. You work, you pay a semester, I pay a semester. And that kind of kind of was an incentive for me because he was very clear, you don't work, you don't pay a semester, we're done. And that was not a good plan. That, I mean, it was, from his perspective, a very good plan. Mine, mine had a little different
1: philosophy, <laughs> but, but similar. He paid for A's and B's uh, on a reimbursement program at the end of the semester. I paid for it in the beginning. I got you. Uh, uh, that you. definitely was some incentive to uh, keep... Keep the grades up.
2: Keep in mind, though, if you were going to do this on a on a home equity line or a loan, you are putting your home at risk if you can't pay the loan. And if you, Absolutely. your home value drops, you could be upside down. You could owe more money than the home's worth. So you've got to be careful how you do that. Don't just do that quick. Don't just react and run out and do that, but uh, think through it, get some good advice, make sure that you plan through that process, and make sure the whole family is involved in knowing what you're doing. And
1: again, we're talking about alternative situations, right.
2: not not... Replacing
1: the planning process, process. for college Absolutely. funding. Absolutely.
2: Well, you need a strategy, and if you got that two-year-old, start the strategy now. Don't wait till you have the eighteen-year-old, as you said, and we're packing for college. If it is the case, that's what we're trying to help you do now:
1: save a little bit of money early in life, yeah. or have to save a lot of money yeah. what is later. It called? In life? Pay me now, or pay, pay me now, or later? pay me later. Yeah, Absolutely.
2: That's... Number three: take out a parent plus loan. Yep. This is a loan where you go out and you figure out what you've got. It's a federally sponsored loan. It is a, a kind of like a grant. The fixed rate, it's usually fixed. It's pretty high. It's not a cheap loan. It can be north of 7%, almost 8% now. And they're flexible, uh, but the rate's usually higher than, than what a normal loan rate would be. Uh, it's easy to get. It's, it's going to be one of those that you're going to get turned down. Uh, you can have... Uh, Couple of things that you need to be sensitive to though. You can't have adverse credit, you know, history. You can't be, you know, a FICA score of just nothing. Uh you gotta you gotta look at your score and you gotta know that. But you can bar up to the cost of attendance and the refer repayment while the student's in college, and that's usually the student's going to end up helping pay for it. Correct, and they do offer several repayment options. Absolutely, and I think you have to look at that. That's the parent plus loan, and that's usually uh, one that I would say is uh, not a last resort. It is definitely when you've got that student that needs the, the, the help. Usually the financial aid officer would point Correct. you in that Correct. direction. And, and again,
1: going back to the, the financial aid, they are used to this is this is what they do That's right. for students attending the university. They help you get the aid necessary to attend.
2: All right, let's pause, but we got three more that we're going to come back when we get back, and it's all dealing with things that people have to be very careful, but it is money. If you've done some planning prior to the final date, You've done some things. This is a way to look at it. So when we come back, we'll continue to talk into that. You're listening to Talk Money on KWAM. We'll be right back after this.
0: You're listening to Talk Money with Jim Shoemaker. Be sure to like us on Facebook. Just search for Shoemaker Financial. Talk Money will return after this. Take a second and think about the three most important goals or priorities in your life right now. At Shoemaker Financial, their team of qualified and experienced financial professionals is committed to helping you achieve these goals or priorities, from insurance needs to college funding, retirement, or estate planning. Shoemaker Financial is here to help you accomplish your long-term financial objectives. To learn more, visit ShoemakerFinancial.com or contact them at 901-757-5757. At Shoemaker Financial, it's not just the plan, it's the results helping you make the most of your money. This is Talk Money with Jim Shoemaker. And now, once again, here's your host for Talk Money, Jim Shoemaker. Well, the question is, our child is
2: heading to college. Even with grants and student loans, we come up short. Any advice, we do have some advice we've been going through, you, Worst of all, contact your financial aid office, tap into your home equity with an equity line or an equity loan. You've got to know the difference. And then, of course, there's a thing called a Parent Plus Loan. Pretty high interest rates, but it's easy to get and it's flexible, so you need to kind of make sure that you walk through that process. But number four, I guess we would say, Mac, in this process as we go through this, draw on your Roth IRA. Retirement funds, that's a... That's touching some things. Sometimes it's kind of sacred. You know, the whole idea is uh, retirement funds are sacred and college is optional. And I love the way it says old age is not.
1: Correct. Correct. So we need to be careful with these next two. Only if you need to, you can tap into your Roth IRA or traditional right. IRA. All right. The the one thing that is, is you can avoid the penalty for higher education expenses. Correct. All right. But you have to understand you are now drawing down your retirement assets right, right. in order to pay this. So traditional IRAs I'll let you avoid the early withdrawal penalty before 59 and a half if the money is used for
2: qualified higher education But if traditional, you're going to have to pay the taxes. Going to have to pay the tax. Not,
1: not yeah. going to avoid the tax. the tax. has
2: already been paid. Correct. And, so you don't have to pay that except on the earnings, but you don't have to pay the penalty. Traditional, you have to pay the tax, but you can avoid the, the penalty also.
1: Correct. And that's for under 59 and a half on mm-hmm. the Roth.
2: Uh, I guess the whole reality is if you're going to tap into that, you are, again, it's a last resort. Absolutely. The kid, it's now time. The child, as the question was, it's uh, September's the date, or August, as you said earlier, and uh, we're trying to get it done now. It's in May or June, and uh, I'm trying to make this into July, and uh, tough, 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 tough deal. Correct. The next one is the one I find to be interesting.
1: Borrow for your from your 401k if permitted, and you have to check the plan requirements. Some plans allow loans. Some plans don't. Uh, You can borrow up to half of your account, up to a maximum of fifty thousand dollars, and have five years in which to repay the loan.
2: Now, that's if you don't make that payment. If you lose your job, and or you know you change jobs, you 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 decide to go that you still have that loan, and that's a issue that you you've got to make it payment back.
1: Yeah, if you lose, if you were to lose your job and you had the loan outstanding. You have 60 to 90 days to repay the loan Mm. before it becomes taxable Taxable. to you.
2: And again, boy, you know, I like the way we think about it. Retirement funds are sacred and college is optional and old age is not. So, you know, when you think through that, let's go back through and review these things. Let's make sure we've covered them all. Give us number one.
1: Yep. Number one, you have to. In all circumstances, contact the college financial aid office. And be prepared. And be prepared. There's going to be, when you start applying for financial aid, there is a lot of paperwork. Most people understand this. The paperwork is similar to buying a house. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. There is a lot of paperwork involved, and it's going to require the family to complete the paperwork. The financial aid officer is going to give you the paperwork. They're not going to complete it for you. Right. They're and, going to give it to you. You have to complete. And
2: just remind yourselves that you want to be very clear. You want to be prepared. You don't go in with it all in a cigar box, you know, when you're trying to get this done. So be prepared. Number two,
1: tap home equity. Again, and, we talked about the pros and the cons there, um, which, which again, you're putting your home at risk. Um, and then you get into um, home equity line versus loan.
2: And a line, its variable rate is variable usually rate. lower than a loan. But the loan, you put all the money into the savings account, but it's a fixed rate. You're going to pay for it over a 10-year period. Correct. Okay, number three, we talked about the Parent PLUS loan. It's flexible. Interest rates are a little high. Usually fairly easy to get. And don't have to pay it while the student's in college. It comes a payment when he gets out later on. The bottom line is work through all of those scenarios. There's a lot of these parent plus loans, not just one, but you just correct. You know, there, are they many, many, many and, different. And you just ones. work through that. So good, good point there. Then you just mentioned draw on your Roth on your retirement account. Mm-hmm.
1: Correct, correct. And taxes? No, no tax for, for or taxes are applied. You you will not be penalized to no 10%. Penalty no if penalty it's for
2: education. For education. And then looked at your traditional, the taxes, as you said, provide the Roth. Again, both of these penalties are weighed if you're using it for college. And then 401k plan, borrow it, but you got to pay it back. Based on plan requirements. In five and, years. And then I have one more.
1: Okay. Just say no.
2: <laughs>
1: Just say no? The Just student say no. maybe
2: needs to choose a less expensive college.
1: Yeah. yeah. I mean, instead of... Instead of um, you know, uh, in the SEC, we're in SEC country. Yeah. Instead of Vanderbilt, maybe they're going to UT or, uh-huh. or Ole Miss, or or the other thing. You have a lot of of students who want to go out of state, right? Out of state tuition okay. be, is drastically different than in state tuition. You know so, what
2: you're really saying is just ask your student to choose a less expensive school. Yeah, you know not, this is a family thing.
1: When I said just say no, that. That's yeah. not not go. Right. That's let's go to something less expensive.
2: Unless the child gets a college degree and you try to avoid as much debt. Best thing to do is when that child was born to start planning for college education. That's what we tell everybody. We try to get people to understand. It's go- you're going to wake up one day like this person was saying our child is headed to college. Even with grants and student loans, we come up short. Any advice? And the reality was, all the advice is stuff that we would like to avoid. And the way to avoid that is to start planning when the child is born.
1: Every every parent has the dream of their child either being a gifted from a mindset standpoint or a gifted athlete. And that, a lot of times, they're going to be good one way or the other. Let's go ahead and plan for college. And if your child turns out to be the superstar quarterback or a genius, you can use
2: the money for something else. You did a great job today with these college education thoughts. Well, next week I'm going to talk about some financial tips that the financial founding fathers did. These guys were smart people. We're also going to talk about some things about the 4th of July. I want to thank uh, Art Frederick for he's our producer and our program director. Guest and content coordination, Francis Fortner, does a great job. Production assistants, Eleanor Moskowitz and Katie Brashear. Mid-South History Moment, Rebecca Brazier, she reads it. And, of course, you hear Drew Johnson, he does a great job writing. I'm Jim Shoemaker, along with Mac Jenkins, and we appreciate you being a part of the day's program. Stay cool. We'll be here next week helping you make the most of your money.
0: Jim Shoemaker and Mac Jenkins are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Security and Financial Services Incorporated, securities dealer member FINRA/SIPC. A registered investment advisor, Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated.